Next, this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. Throughout the month of February, ReachMD talks with experts about new medications, technologies, and treatment guidelines in cardiac care. In preterm neonates with a patent ductus arteriosus, the standard of care has been to attempt to close the defect. Yet some experts have asked whether we need to treat PDA in most preemies at all. If we are to resolve the condition, there are various methods and protocols for treatment and even prevention. How do outcomes for PDA closure vary by treatment strategy? You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Heart Health. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Darshak Sanghavi, Chief of Pediatric Cardiology and Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Welcome, Darshak. It's great to be here with you. Now, can you start off with just a definition of what a patent ductus arteriosus or PDA is? Sure. As most people are aware, the lungs in a fetus don't accept a lot of blood flow because the pulmonary vascular resistance is very high. As a result, the blood has to bypass the lungs, and in the fetus, that's done through both the patent foramen ovale as well as the patent ductus arteriosus. Now, this is a problem in preterm neonates because at birth, the patent ductus arteriosus simply does not close as often, and some estimates are that approximately a third to approximately a half of preterm infants have a persistently patent ductus arteriosus. And what this leads to and what neonatologists are often concerned about is that the flow actually becomes reversed after birth, and so the lungs may be exposed to excessive blood at both high volume and high pressure. It's possible that this may then contribute to the difficulties that many preterm neonates face with respiration. So normally you're saying before birth, the blood's flowing from the pulmonary artery to the aorta and bypasses the lungs. And after birth, it's the other direction. Precisely. So in the fetus, it's referred to as right-to-left shunting. And then postnatally, you start to develop left-to-right shunting. Now, you mentioned that in preterm babies, it's much more common. Is it also more common in different genders or races or other conditions? It's difficult to say. To my knowledge, there's not a lot of data on whether it varies by gender or by race. What it does vary by quite clearly is the gestational age and the weight of the infant. In other words, the more preterm the infant and the lower the birth weight, the more likely the infant is to have a patent ductus arteriosus. Now, what is the natural course of a PDA in a preterm infant? Is it something like maybe a VSD where you would watch it in hopes that it would close? I think that's a really interesting question. And the fact is that we don't really have a lot of data about the natural history of an untreated patent ductus arteriosus. However, it does appear in some studies that approximately 70% of the time they may spontaneously close. There are some studies that actually just watched patent ductus arteriosus in preterm infants and found that even in children in whom the ductus remained open, the 30% of children in whom it remained open, just conservatively treating it led to the majority of those actually closing within several days. Now, before we even talk about treatment, can we discuss maybe are there ways to prevent that open PDA in infants? It definitely needs to be there in the fetus, but how can we increase the chances of it closing shortly after birth in these early preterm babies? 
I don't know if anybody actually knows if there's a way to prevent this from happening. And part of the issue is that many times when women deliver preterm infants, it really happens as a surprise. We don't really have a lot of time to prepare or administer any medical therapy to women ahead of time to prevent the ductus arteriosus from staying open. As a result, when the child is born, there's very little one can do right away to close the ductus arteriosus. Some people have advocated for administering medicines to close it right away at birth, regardless of how the baby looks, the so-called prophylactic strategy. But that's really the only methods that are open. So whereas we might give steroids to the mother who is in preterm labor to accelerate their lung maturity in a preterm baby, there's no equivalent for PDA is what you're saying. That's exactly right. I mean, theoretically, one could think that we could potentially give mothers ibuprofen or endomethacin, which are known to close a PDA, if we suspect they're going to imminently deliver. Now, the problem is we can't always perfectly predict when women are going to deliver. And so we really don't want to give a medication that should the child remain in utero, that those medicines could actually be harmful. So once the baby is born, how would a PDA be diagnosed? The standard of care in many places is that the infant receive surfactant or whatever else other therapy they need in order to achieve a stable respiratory status. If for some reason the child is still hemodynamically unstable or if the neonatologist hears a heart murmur, they often will order an echocardiogram. And that's what would actually demonstrate the patent ductus arteriosus. Are there any other signs and symptoms besides a heart murmur that you might expect? Some people refer to a widened pulse pressure. In other words, a big difference in the systolic and the diastolic pressure. Or sometimes they feel pulsations in the limbs. But really, almost always, it's the presence of the heart murmur. What's fascinating, though, is that several studies show that the presence or absence of heart murmur is not very predictive of whether a PDA is actually present. So to really be honest, the only way to know is to do an echocardiogram routinely or screen children with an echocardiogram. But that's really not the standard of care. So then are there some protocols that would prophylactically give something like indomethacin on the first day of life, or I guess day of life zero might be how you would word it, to a preterm baby? And what age cutoff, what gestational age cutoff would you use? There is a body of literature because there are initially good randomized controlled trials where indomethacin was given prophylactically to infants who were very small. What's interesting is that the outcomes were not very impressive. There was no real long-term difference in mortality, chronic lung disease, or obvious developmental outcome in children who received prophylactic endomethacin at birth to prevent the PDA from staying open. What we do know is that there was a slightly lower incidence of low-grade interventricular hemorrhage, or IVH, the so-called grade 1 and grade 2 IVH, in children who are treated prophylactically with endomethacin. The problem is that there's also a bunch of side effects. Several studies show decreased gut perfusion, decreased urine output, and as a result, some centers have adopted the strategy because they would like to reduce the risk of low-grade IVH. Many other centers have chosen not to because there has been no long-term difference in outcome. And so the notion of using prophylactic endomethacin is very controversial still. 
If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Heart Health, from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu. Our guest is Dr. Darshak Sanghavi, Chief of Pediatric Cardiology at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. We're discussing prevention and treatment of patent ductus arteriosus in preterm infants. Now, let's talk a little bit about therapeutic endomethacin on day of life one, maybe following an echocardiogram that confirms a PDA. What are the recommendations regarding that? There's no clear recommendations about treatment of a PDA. And so there's a lot of variation in practice. Some centers, for example, will prophylactically treat a PDA in preterm neonates as I mentioned, because it reduces the risk of interventricular hemorrhage, although long-term there's no clear benefit in dimethacin. Other centers will wait for a few days and see how the child responds to conventional therapy with, say, surfactant or ventilation. If that child does very well, weans off the ventilator, then they would probably defer treating the ductus arteriosus. Others would say, well, if a PDA is present, even if a child is doing very well, as a so-called asymptomatic PDA, they would still treat that as well. I think the point I'm making is that there's a vast amount of practice variation among centers in both how they diagnose PDAs and then subsequently how they choose to treat them. Are there any centers that you would say go straight to a surgical approach if they are going to treat the PDA? Well, there are certainly some centers that do that. They prophylactically will ligate PDAs in small infants. I think that that, again, is something which is not really supported by a great deal of data and also exposes a child to a risk of surgical complications. While there are centers that do surgically ligate immediately, I think that that is outside the norm of practice now. Do you know of any studies that compare the endomethacin treatment outcomes with the surgical ligation treatment? Well, surgical therapy is felt to be definitive. And so most studies look at whether endomethacin prevents the need for surgical ligation. I think that what we're getting at here is an interesting feature of how these studies are done. Most studies that are now done with, say, endomethacin and more recently ibuprofen, which is supplanting endomethacin in many centers, the outcome measure they look at is do we avoid surgical ligation? The answer to that is definitely yes. In other words, both endomethacin and ibuprofen are effective in closing a PDA. But that still doesn't get at what most parents and neonatologists care about long term. In other words, does endomethacin therapy or ibuprofen therapy really reduce the risk of complications of prematurity, such as chronic lung disease, necrotizing enterocolitis, developmental problems, and the like? And those are the questions that I think we should be asking. So have those studies not been performed? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think that what's interesting is that the data really doesn't seem to show that aggressive therapy for PDA, whether medical or surgical, it's not clear that that actually affects the long-term outcome in those neonates. The Cochrane Collaboration, for example, and other investigators have looked at this in some detail and found that even aggressive therapy of a PDA The data is just not there to show that it actually prevents necrotizing enterocolitis, that it reduces the risk of developmental delays, or that it reduces even the risk of mortality. So should we be then watching and observing these patients to see if they get older and make sure they don't go into heart failure before attempting to do some kind of intervention? I think so. 
My opinion is that what's happened in the neonatology standards of practice is very similar to what happened with the widespread use of estrogen replacement therapy in women. In other words, people's intentions were good, but they were relying on a huge amount of retrospective cohort data that showed, for example, that in women, having been on estrogen replacement reduced the risk of heart attack. Similarly, if you look at a lot of the data, it does show that a lot of infants who have problems long-term, in other words, higher risks of mortality and so forth, did have the presence of a PDA. But the issue is, is that is that really a cause or is that an effect of being critically sick? In other words, babies that are sick seem to keep their PDAs open. And so what I would argue for is that we simply don't have a large number of very good randomized controlled trials looking at ductal closure, whether it's surgical or medical. And so what we've gotten into a situation of is a widespread practice, which may or may not really be supported by subsequent long-term randomized trials, which we just don't have now. So who would you propose do these randomized trials that are needed? I think that there's a variety of individuals. These kinds of trials could be funded by a federal mandate or by a federal request for proposals. Nothing like that exists right now. The other individuals that could fund or perform a trial like this could be the makers of ibuprofen or indomethacin. That also is pretty dicey because they're invested in the widespread use of that. So to my way of thinking, the last resort would be large neonatal uh, research collaboratives. They also could uh, undertake a randomized trial. So in the meantime, is it okay to have such a variation on treatment protocols for these preterm babies with PDAs? It's difficult to say because at this point in time, there are no clear evidence-based clinical guidelines that have been developed and widely adopted. And so I would hope that an institution, whether it's the Cochrane Collaboration, the American Academy of Pediatrics, or other respected organizations that have experience in developing clinical guidelines, could actually sit down and review the literature and comprehensively issue a series of best clinical practice guidelines on the diagnosis and treatment of PDA. That's really what I think would be the optimal choice for the health of preterm children. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Darshak Sanghavi. We've been discussing prevention and treatment of patent ductus arteriosus in preterm infants. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Heart Health, from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com.